So is everyone doing well? Everybody have a good week? Good, AJ and I um, got away this week. We went for a little, uh, not a retreat in advance. Well, we, we retreated into nature so that we could uh, get energy and come back. We had a great time. And so we're feeling full and feeling refreshed. And uh, I am so glad to be with you this morning. So glad to, or afternoon even, so glad to share with you what God put in my heart. Last week, if you were here, we started... Um, you ever have really dry lips? That's me. I'll be fine. I'm a professional. Uh, we started a series. You might not have known it was a series, but I did. We started a series all about stewardship. And we're talking and we're looking at some of the things. And just to kind of remind you, I read this book, was really moved. And by moved, uh, I mean troubled. And by troubled, I meant was brought to conviction at several moments while reading this book. And in the book, the author, Robert Morris, says this. In the most fundamental sense... Stewardship is living life with a heart recognition that your money, your possessions, even your body do not belong to you. And that's sobering, huh? No? Some of you are like easy peasy lemon squeezy. But it's sobering when you think about that. And last week I, I unpacked five points with us. The first point is simple, profound but simple, is that God owns everything. He owns you, he owns me, he owns the whole world, and he can do with everything that he owns as he wishes. Everything you own, you don't really own. And that's kind of part of the ungodly belief. We're like, oh, I earned this. You're like, "Mm, not so much, because you got the air in your lungs from somewhere. And you got the gray matter and the, the wisdom and the training and the teaching from somewhere. And God really, really clearly, as we look through scripture, he owns everything. The second thing that we found right in the, the very first chapter, the first book of the Bible, is that God made us to be like him, which is wonderful. That means anytime I have a thought like him, every time I behave like him, I'm actually exercising the way I was created. And not only did God create us to be like him, he created us to rule. He gave each one of us a metron, a sphere of influence, a sphere of authority over which he expects us to rule. And when we rule diligently, when we govern, when we exercise authority over that which he's given us to exercise authority over, fruitfulness and abundance should be the byproduct. It should be the norm. And we we just thought that was amazing. That's why God built us, the way God designed us. But not only that, that he promised that if we partner with him, we see this fruition. And it's really interesting because God doesn't need our partnership at all. God's partnership with us is for our blessing, not for his. Right, so it's not like God's like, oh, I really want to accomplish things, but like, I can't, you know. It's not, he could do anything and he exercises such restraint that he chooses not to for our benefit and invites us into partnership with him. And, and he's saying that like, I would be willing to supply from heaven if there are people to work the ground. And so we realize we need both. We need this p- partnership with the way God loves to build his kingdom. And then we looked at the words of Jesus and, and Jesus taught us last week that if we are faithful with little, we will be trusted with much. And our stewardship, like everything else in life, is supposed to grow. Right? We're called to go from glory to glory, which means where you are today is not your resting place. Right? That should be a huge encouragement. That should have elicited so many amens I was almost bowled over. Right? Where you are today is not your resting place. 
Right? God's plan is to take you from where you are and propel you forward because everything that's living is growing. However, one of the reasons that we don't grow is we can put a cap on the growth in our own life by refusing to partner with him. One of those ways is refusing to be faithful. And the encouragement is whenever we will steward the little that we have, we're demonstrating to the kingdom of God, hey, I can be trusted with more. Now, if your spidey senses aren't tingling at the thought of that, we'll keep going. Number five, what we learned, which was just profound and beautiful, is that if God can't trust us with a dollar bill, he can't trust us with a priceless soul. Our money, God has an expectation that our money would build his kingdom. Again, he doesn't need our money. Like all the cattle on a thousand hills are his. He does not need it. It is for our blessing that we can store up an inheritance in heaven that far outlasts anything we can do with our money here on earth. Like God gives us stuff so we can fuel his kingdom and build his kingdom. It's powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. I want to pick up exactly where we left off last week. We're going to go back to Luke 16. There is so much stuff in Luke 16 to unpack. It's this beautiful, such a gift from God. The Word of God. Ah, oh, I love it. Like I feast on it. Nom, 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 nom. Delicious. Luke 15, all about the lost and all about God's heart to save the lost. Luke 16, all about money. Crazy that those two are put together. So we're going to start in Luke 16, verse 1. Before we do, we're going to just ask the Lord for His blessing on His Word, which He'd love to do. Same thing, guys. Like, here's the thing. He would love to give you much more revelation than you have right now. And he will supply revelation from heaven if you'll open his word. If you will till the ground of literally reading the word of God and getting inside of you, he will add supernatural revelation where you unpack stuff that you've, excuse me, been bored by for years. Have you ever read the Bible and you're like, Lord, I love you, but like... Leviticus is hard going. Like, I don't care about fat portions and offerings. And, you know, where the, and it doesn't matter. Whatever's in the Word, it's useful. And he will, he will put His Spirit on it and it will be like, wow. Like, the stuff I've been preparing to share with you, I've been so excited about, and none of it is new. And yet, all of it is new. I, I, I would walk through to AJ and be like, babe, you'll never guess what I just read. So like what's missing is our willing to till the ground of the pages of the Word of God and His Holy Spirit coming upon us and lighting us. So if you're excited to get fed this morning by the Word of God, say I'm excited. All right. Lord, we come like little children willing to be taught. Lord, we, you, I love that you said, feed my sheep, not feed my giraffes. Lord, we do not need to be lofty. We need, do not, not need to be intellectual. We need not to have our head up high. We just need to be lowly. And if we will stoop our head to graze on what you've already given us, you will supply from heaven supernatural revelation because you haven't left us as orphans, Lord. It's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Would you make us so wise? Would you put an anointing on our hands? house today, that something happens from the people who are here because we are devoted to the Word of God and the Spirit of truth. And so this morning, Lord, I'm asking for an anointing from heaven, the same anointing that we ask for to heal the sick, would the same anointing come to open our eyes. May we see things we've never seen before, and may our lives be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 16, this is Jesus, and he's telling his disciples this story, and he says this, 
Uh, if I can get brightness so I can see. There we go. Uh, Luke 16, verse one, <clears throat> sets up the whole chapter. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. What's fascinating is the Greek word used for manager there is the same word as steward. Right, but in our English Bible, we don't tend to talk about stewards, but we're going to more likely understand what a manager is more, of a stu- more than a steward. A steward is simply someone who manages the affairs of someone else on behalf of them. So this rich man is so loaded, it's wearisome for him to even manage his own finances. Father, I'm willing to bear that burden. Right? He's so wealthy that he has somebody else to manage his affairs. And the thing is, the person who was managing his affairs, he wasn't a good steward. He was wasting the possessions. Do you know that you and I are stewards already? I'm not teaching this series to help us understand, oh, I'd like to be a steward. You already are. The question remains is, are we a good steward or are we becoming good stewards? See how positive that is? Are we good stewards or are we learning to become good stewards? God owns everything, including everything we have, including ourselves, and we are stewarding it for him. And just like the manager or the steward was called to give an account to his master, one day we will too. Look at this, Romans 14, Paul's super clear. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus said, hey, you'll give an account for every careless word you speak. I mean, Josh Parsons have worried about this for years because we're like, does sarcasm get included in that? Because I'll be honest, I was born into a lineage of sarcasm. Like just being from Britain, it's like oxygen. Like, yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to give an account. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we'll we'll be held account for the good and the bad that we did here on earth. Well, it turns out this steward did not do a good job of managing his master's resources. And it's right after this story that Jesus summarizes what the points he's trying to get across and we pick up in verse 10. Now, here's what I wanna do this morning is I wanna unpack three simple verses. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, they all go together. We, we, we focused last week on verse 10, we touched on verse 11, we didn't even read verse 12. Look at what it says. Verse 10, this is what we read last week. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, this might feel like a rebuke, but it's an encouragement. The Lord Jesus is saying to us, if we will just be faithful to steward the little that we have, God will trust us with more. How many of you would love more in your life? More influence, more authority, more followers, maybe not. Uh, Like, you know, uh, more opportunities at work, uh, more money, increase of health. Jesus is teaching us here. Now, while this verse applies to all those things, we have to be honest to the text. The text, make no doubt about it, is all about money. 
Jesus is talking here about money. In fact, Jesus had more to say about money than he did heaven and hell combined. I, I checked before I made that statement. <laughs> One of the dangers that I fall into when I read a verse like this, and like, because this is where the conviction happened, I'm reading and I've got Jesus' words, and I'm thinking, I don't think I live like that's true. And here's why I don't live like it's true, is how many times have I thought, ah, it doesn't matter, it's a small amount. Like I'm thinking, ah, does it really, like does it really, it's small, like what does it matter? Like, you know, it's a small amount. And yet Jesus is saying, oh, sorry, are you confused? Would you like me to make it clear? <laughs> like I think at times to my chagrin, I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Like have you ever been given back too much money in change? Have you ever been shipped something that you didn't order? And you're just like, ah, doesn't matter. You're like, ooh, would it matter if the thing that you did order didn't arrive? Oh, then we'd be like, excuse me, do you know who I am? Like, I ordered this and why isn't it here? All right. But when we get someone we didn't order, we're like, oh, it must be just be God blessing me. Listen, if it takes a deceitful act for you to consider your life as blessed, how much lack are you currently in? Like, seriously. And we tend to think, we tend to just think, well, it would only really matter if it was a large amount. Not so, Jesus says. Surely he desires truth in the innermost parts, the smallest areas that nobody looks at. The next verse, Luke 11, Jesus continues and says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? We talked about that last week, but what true riches are. This week, I wanna focus in on that phrase, worldly wealth. Guess what that phrase is in the original Greek? It's unrighteous mammon. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I don't want to make a big point about the original Greek, but it is interesting and it is noteworthy. Alan, why is it interesting? Why is it noteworthy? Well, Jesus had his choice of words. He could have used many other words to mean money, but he didn't. He deliberately chose the word mammon. And I think he used it deliberately because he knew who was listening to him. Now, this is not conjecture on my part. If you keep reading, you get to verse 14. It says, the Pharisees who loved money, money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. See, Jesus was aware he was speaking to the disciples, but the Pharisees overheard. And Jesus, because he knew their hearts, knew they loved money. And they were sneering at him and his little pep talk about finances. See, Today we know mammon as a demonic spirit. In those days, mammon was a legit name to a Chaldean god, a false god, which was the god of riches. And in those days, many Jewish people had succumbed to worshiping this god, this false god, which we now recognize as a demonic spirit. See, it is impossible for me to talk about money in spiritual terms without talking about mammon. See, mammon promises a lot of things, but its biggest selling point, its major sales pitch is that you don't need God. Mammon's like, you don't need God. You don't need this talk. Like, you don't need to be God. You could be free. You could be independent. You could be successful. You could never have another need. Mammon says, God wants you as a steward to manage his resources. 
I'll give you your own resources so you can be your own God. But mammon is a liar and mammon is a thief. A couple of thoughts here. It's interesting that Jesus says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, two questions arise. The first question is, who gets to determine whether we have been trustworthy or not? Like, who's the umpire in this thing? And the second thing, how exactly is that determined? Hold on to those two thoughts. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, Jesus continues, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property... Who will give you property of your own? Remember, Jesus has just finished talking about a steward who was not trustworthy with somebody else's property. Someone who was not trustworthy with unrighteous mammon and somebody who was not faithful with small things. He's speaking to an audience that is in love with money and he's talking to his disciples to teach them a new way. Now, let me ask you, without, you know, without being rude or mean like I'm genuinely just like just ask a question I love the way I can get away with the worst saying the worst things by prefixing it with that like don't take offense at this ridiculously offensive thing I'm going to say I mean I'm just talking which audience do you identify with most this morning now I'm not going to ask for a show of hand this is purely for your heart's sake do you love money have you historically sneered when Jesus talks about money in which case, my encouragement is God's not mad at you, but he would love to show you a better way. Or do you find yourself this morning like disciples, like wanting to learn new things about handling money? Because here's the thing, in these three tiny verses, verse 10, 11, and 12, nestled away in Luke 16, Jesus is revealing three super important things that we might miss if we read it too quickly. He's revealing how to be trusted with much. Again, what you have today is not set in stone. The level of influence, the level of authority, your financial situation, it's not like, sucks to be you, guess you drew the short straw. No, 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 Jesus is teaching you how to be trusted with much. More than that, He's, he's teaching you how to be trusted with true riches. And lastly, he's teaching you how to be given property of your own. Now, that's a pretty good summary of what it means to be a good steward right there. All three of these things can be accompanied or can be put into practice with one simple step you can start doing today. And if we keep this baby step, we find we'll become on a path to being good stewards. And that one simple baby step is the tithe. At which point a collective groan goes through the room. <laughs> now, I have taught, if you've been here for like more than a year or so. I've taught many times on the tithe here at Grace Center. And I'm not going to rehash all the stuff I've taught. I actually want to bring, I want to look at the tithe from a different angle. And so if you want more about the tithe, and if you're like, hey, well, how come you didn't explain the tithe is Old Testament, Old Covenant? I've covered all of that before. Just go to gracecenter.us, click on sermons, search by my name. You'll find lots and lots of messages about that. Now, to be sure, let me just be clear right at the beginning, the tithe isn't the only step to being a good steward. 
But it is the first and therefore foundational one. And if we don't get tithing right, all of the other steps will be ineffective. Now, here's the thing. There has been so much manipulative teaching about the tithe, so much poor teaching about the tithe, so much awkward teaching about the tithe, that it's a wonder that anyone tithes at all. But I've discovered that every time I return to the scriptures to be taught about the tithe, here's the thing, I know about the tithe, I've lived the tithe, I teach the tithe, and I'm still a student of the tithe. Like I don't come to scriptures like, oh, so already know this. No, I come and I'm like, that's amazing. How did I never see that before in scripture? I am astonished at the power behind the very simple principle of the tithe. Now, we know about the tithe as just a substitute for the tenth or the 10%. But it's not any 10%. It is the first 10%. And as we'll see in a moment, the Lord has a thing about being first. Now, those of you who are raised in the church, like you can think of the big ones, like you will have no other gods before me. Like God literally wants to be first, doesn't want idolatry. But there's so many other like little subtle firsts all the way through scripture. Have a look at one with me. This one's found in Exodus 13. Chapter 13, verses one to two. This is again the Lord setting up the people for a new way of living. And he says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. Now, this is odd, right? Like it seems a little superfluous given we already know something in that God owns everything. Remember Psalm 24 verse one, everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world who live in it. So if we know that and he knows that, then why does he have to explicitly say and put an emphasis that the first belongs to him when so does the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth? Like, why is this such a big deal to the Lord? Well, I don't know. All I do know is that this declaration that the first belongs to him is repeated 16 times in scripture. The 10 commandments is only repeated twice. The Lord is big about the first. He's really serious about the first being his. And if we keep reading, even in the same chapter, we find some similar instructions. Look at verse 12. It says this, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Now, the Lord laid out two options for the firstborn. If it's clean, sacrifice it. Or nicer, give it to the Lord. You realize what give it to the Lord meant when destroy it so nobody can use it. It's not like, well, yes, I'm presenting this to the Lord and now that I have, I will bring it back and I will eat it. The Lord's like, no, 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 no. When it's given to me, you don't get it anymore. In fact, nobody gets it because it's mine. Yeah, but all you're gonna do is like kill it. Mm-hmm. But it's mine, so I get to do what I want with it. Yeah, but that could be used in so many different ways. The math, mine. And that, like, to us, we're like, uh, no, nobody else? You're all just like, way to go, God. Yep, no problem. <laughs> if it's unclean, like a donkey, redeem it with a lamb. And by the way, if you don't redeem it, it's not like you get to keep it and just be like, my bad. You've got to kill it either way. 
God is serious about the first being his and it being returned to him. So for the people of Israel, by the way, whose livelihood at this time depended on flocks and harvest, the first thing they had to do was sacrifice the first of everything that was born to them and then just trust that the Lord was gonna provide more. Now let's play this out. You are an Israelite. Yay, you just got redeemed from slavery in Egypt. You're starting a new life. You've just been given a cow and you're like, this is amazing. The cow gives birth to a calf and you're like, woohoo! You're super excited because that calf represents your future. You can either sell that calf for money or you can kill it and eat. Either way, it's provision. But Moses just instituted this crazy thing where no, no, you just give it away. But I just got it. Like it was a sign of God's provision. Like, yay, God's so good. Wait, now I have to give the whole thing away? Yeah, yeah, you have to give it away. But, 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 but why? Oh, it's because it's his. It's neither yours to sell or eat. Now, what's going through your heart? At this point, you're like, well, if I give you this one, there's no guarantee I'll get another one. And frankly, I have to be a good steward for my family. Like I'm the head of this household and so I'd be irresponsible to give away that. Like what my wife and kids, oh, I see you're acquainted with mammon. See, when we think like that, it's not a faith in action, it's fear in action. Fear masquerading as good stewardship. Any stewardship that's opposite to the stewardship that Jesus describes is not stewardship. So a couple of thousand years before Jesus ever uttered the word, whoever will be faithful with little will be faithful with much. Or if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We see this principle in action. Are you going to be faithful in the little and trust God for the much? Are you going to be trustworthy with someone else's property? Because that firstborn is the Lord's so that you can be given property of your own. And if you don't, how will you ever know if God's faithful? Or are you going to listen to mammon whispering in your ears? You don't need to give the first. That's super religious. God doesn't care. God's not even watching. Keep it, don't be foolish. That same conversation happens today every time we have an opportunity to tithe. Now, in addition to the firstborn, you'll see the first fruits belong to God too. Look at this verse, uh, Exodus 23, verse 19. It says this, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. There is again, not just the first fruits, but the first of the first fruits. Again, imagine you're a farmer. You're like, eh, I'm not gonna do the whole like raising calves. Like that's way too expensive, way too messy. And besides, I'm not sure I'm even gonna have one after the first one. So you're thinking, I'm just gonna plant a bunch of trees, I'm gonna harvest, it's gonna be great. And then harvest comes and the first fruit of your labor shows up. And you're thinking, I tilled this ground. <coughs> yeah, but Lord sent supply from heaven. Right? And you gather it and you're like, woo! But then you remember, no, 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 no. All of this, the first of the first fruit, this has to go to the Lord. But, but what if nothing else grows? Actually, what if the weather changes? What if worms come and eat everything up? Again, faith is required. God is saying, this is the principle by which I work. This belongs to me. It's a test for your heart for your own good. Will you be trustworthy with someone else's property, mine, 
So I can determine that you can handle property of your own. Or, because here's the thing, the Lord's want to say, can you handle the blessing I'm going to give you? And because he's kind and he's merciful, he does it with a small amount. So if we can't be, we're not ruined by the big amount. But then we have the audacity to say, oh, you're not blessing me. And the Lord's like, (coughs) will you give what is rightfully mine and trust me to give from my bounty? Or will you steal my portion because you don't trust me to be good to you? See, what's going on here? The Lord is just simply testing the heart. Here's what I love, love slash hate, about the tithe. Is no matter how good you think you get good at tithing, the test remains the same as you go further with the Lord. Right? You get given 100 bucks and you have to tithe 10 bucks. You're like, oh, but it's 10 bucks and now I only have 90. You didn't have anything before I gave you the 100. I know, but 90 is such a less round number than 100. Okay, fine, I'll give it to you. And you're like, woo, high five me. Like, high five me, I was obedient to the most basic principle in the kingdom. But nevertheless, like, high five me. And we're like, whoo, I'm glad I passed that test, as if it's a one-time thing. And now you call yourself a tither, and then the Lord gives you $100,000. And you're like, well, $10,000 is way more than $100,000. Like, let's not get religious. Let's not get, I could do a lot more with that. Thing. And the same argument that was hitting you over here about 100 bucks and $10 is the same argument, 100000 and 10000 But you're never going to get the 100000 and the 10000 if you don't pass the 100 and the ten. But we, we write future narratives about how generous we are over there when we don't even pass the test over here. I'm I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I don't know what you do. I can identify with that. Like, it's crazy. The Lord tests the heart for our own good. He's constantly reminding us and giving us the opportunity to declare who we trust. God or fear and lack. Do you know elsewhere, like where else it says where to bring your first fruits? It says the first the fruit, first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. It's really important what you bring, the first. It's also important where you bring it, to the house of the Lord. Let me read you one more passage and then we're gonna go back to the New Testament. This is Leviticus 27, verse 30. It's a great summary of the tithe in general. It says this, a tithe of everything, say everything. everything. Tithe of everything from the land or the grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so basic comprehension, what's holy to the Lord? The tithe is. Why is it holy to the Lord? Because it's his, because it belongs to him. Everything that is of the Lord's is holy. It becomes holy because it's His. It's like an extension of who He is. He is holy. Let's take this principle, the one we just found in Leviticus 27, 30, and look at it in light of Jesus' teaching that we've just been studying in Luke 16. So here's here's it is. Here it is. Luke 16, verse 10 which we've already read many times. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Here's the thing. That little is the tithe. The tithe is 10%. It's a tiny portion of it. It's a little. And the Lord Jesus is saying, hey, if you can't be faithful with the tithe, with the little, 
How do you ever expect to be faithful with the match? And the thing is, we delude ourselves. We go, well, I'd be faithful when I got serious. No, you wouldn't. When you get over to the hundred grand thing, 10,000 seems enormous. Jesus, he's not lying. He's just like, hey, I made you. I know what human nature is like. See, when we tithe, even though it's just 10%, even though it's just a little, we are demonstrating to the spirit world, I am a trustworthy person. I have got a track record of trustworthiness by being trustworthy with the little. I'm showing that I can't be bought with little, which means I won't be bought with much. I will not be bought because God, my God is not mammon. My God is the Lord God of Israel. We delude ourselves into thinking, well, I'd be faithful with a hundred grand over there, but it's just 10 bucks. Like seriously, let's not get religious. If you want to get religious, Jesus rebuked the most religious people ever, right? About their outlook on the law. He's like, hey, you do a great job tithing on your mint and your cumin and your dill. Like these guys were so religious that whenever they grew their herbs, they took that principle seriously. A tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil or fruit from the trees or herbs in your window box, will tithe on it. The Lord's like, bravo, you did that, but you neglected all the other stuff, right? Like we think... Being anally retentive like, and being obedient are like some, something to look down on. God's like, no, 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 be faithful in the little. Demonstrate your faithfulness. Verse 11, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, again, that phrase, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly, uh, unrighteous mammon, I beg your pardon, who will trust you with true riches? See, whenever you get money, right, that worldly wealth, unrighteous mammon, it's mammon till you do something with it. It's unrighteous until you redeem it. Does that make sense? So if you can't be faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will give you true riches? I often get phone calls. I teach this and usually, you know, I don't know, after this, I get phone calls going, do you tithe on the grocer on the net? And I'm like, do you want to be blessed on the, the, the grocer or the net? Right? Uh, that momentarily puts a spoke in people's wheels, right? Or people say, I just got this money, do I tithe on it? And I'm like, yes. I don't know, but I didn't earn it. Then doubly yes. Hey, people, you know, people are thinking like, well, do I do this, do I do that? I get it. And I'm like, yeah, a tithe of everything, right? Any increase, tithe on it. Like, what are you worried about that you're going to end up with less? Have you not been reading the scriptures? When we tithe, we demonstrate, I can be trusted. I can be trusted with this. We all have fantasies of how trustworthy we would be out there. Start with what is yours to manage today and watch your management grow. See, the Lord is looking to see how we are handling unrighteous mammon. He's looking at everything. Again, when we tithe, we are acknowledging that our strength, our support, our self-worth doesn't come from our net worth, but it comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then lastly, verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? When you tithe, you demonstrate that you are trustworthy with someone else's property. Because as we've seen, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Like you are literally fulfilling Luke 16 when you tithe. You're taking what is the Lord. You're going, I know who this is and I know what this is about. It's yours. And the Lord's like, oh, look at that. It's amazing. 
Now, earlier I asked two questions. Who gets to determine whether we've been trustworthy in handling unrighteous mammon? And then secondly, how is it determined? Well, number one is easy, it's the Lord. The Lord is the only one who can determine if we've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. Nobody else can, because nobody else knows what has been given to you. Only the Lord can be. That means our favorite author, our favorite podcaster, our favorite person who says, no, you don't need to tie this all to Old Testament. They're not the ones who get to decide, it's the Lord. The person who's already given themselves over to unrighteous mammon, trying to talk you into believing that the tithe is no longer belongs to the Lord, they're not the person that determines, it's the Lord. And how is it determined? Well, I think it's clear that Jesus' teaching in Luke 16 can be beautifully fulfilled with the tithe. But more than that, remember the principle we found in Genesis 2 verse 5 where it says the earth was barren uh, because the Lord had not yet sent rain from heaven and there was no one to work the ground. Remember that? And I made a comment last week, like isn't it interesting that the Lord calls out the forest and the fields and the mountains and the, you know, the land and saying yeah, everything in that is mine but in Genesis 2 there was none of it. It was coming but it wasn't there yet and the reason it hadn't come yet was the Lord refused to do it himself. Could have but he was waiting for partnership. The principle that the Lord will send rain where there's someone to work the ground, that principle is fulfilled when we tithe. Tithing is us tilling the ground to demonstrate that we are trustworthy stewards of heaven's resources. But if we wait on heaven's resources to then prove that we'll be faithful, we've got it the wrong way around. What about the whole thing about mammon? See, the tithe determines whether your unrighteous mammon or your worldly wealth gets sanctified or not. Let me say that again. Money that comes to you is unredeemed. It's what you do with it that determines whether it becomes holy or not. I give you $1,000, you blow it all on coke and strippers. That $1,000 has been used as a tool of Satan. Right? Apparently, that bore witness with way too many of you, okay? So, ministry time today. <laughs> Walk in the light. It's for your own good, right? What, like, you know, that whole thing about money is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. Like, you tell your money where to go and what you do with it. You can do good or you can do bad. But in its state, it's unredeemed. When you tithe, the rest of it gets sanctified. You're like, does it though? Yeah, it does. Tithed money becomes blessed money. Look at this principle, Romans 11 verse 16. To be faithful to this text, this text here is not referring to money, right? It's referring to salvation, right? Salvation of Jews and Gentiles, right? But, but it applies also, the principle applies to money because the principle applies throughout the kingdom. For if the first fruit is holy which it is because the first fruit, the tithe is holy unto the Lord, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. When you bring the first of your increase to the Lord, aka the tithe, the Lord puts his blessing on it and to the rest of it. My friend Lyle Phillips was preaching on this and he said this brilliant line. He said, would you rather have your money anointed by mammon would you rather have 100% of your money anointed by mammon or 90% of it anointed by God? See, this is gonna blow your mind. It blew my mind. 
God so believes in the act of tithing, in the principle of first fruits, of bringing the first and giving away that he put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. Now think about it for a second. I'm gonna draw on your biblical knowledge. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus for the first time? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now what is the principle that we learn about the firstborn? If it's a lamb, give it to the Lord. If it's unrighteous, substitute it with a lamb. Some of you see where we're going with this. Jesus was God's firstborn. Jesus was the perfect, unblemished, unblemished lamb of God. On the other hand, we were all born into sin, unclean. God redeemed the unclean sons by giving the firstborn son the Lamb of God. Now, just better. When did God do that? Look at what Romans says. Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sacrificed his first fruit for the harvest of many sons and daughters. God gave Jesus first while we were still sinners. And so we're like, oh, but God, if I give you this, there's no guarantee you'll get anything else. I know what that feels like. I sowed my son, my perfect son, my unblemished lamb of God in the hope that all would be saved and not all are. See, the principle of first fruits and tithing is so powerful, it's the method that God used to save the whole world. Now let me be clear, it always requires faith to give first. That's why so few Christians experience blessing. They are scared to give before any guarantee of return. I'm like, how much more guarantee do you need? You've got it written in the word of God. They want to see supply before they work the ground. Nowhere are we instructed to wait to see how much we have before we decide if we will be obedient. It's not biblical. It's not an exercise of faith. At best, it's an exercise of faulty accounting. If you want your money blessed, and you do, the first fruit, the first portion, the tithe, belongs to the Lord. We've got to stop thinking in terms of giving our tithe to the Lord, that somehow our tithe costs us. Like I've demonstrated this before, right? Before the service, I didn't do this time because you've all seen it, but before the service, I usually find somebody, I give them a crisp $100 bill and say, hey, I'm gonna use this as a sermon illustration. When I say, can I have 100 bucks? Could you give it to me? Right? And so that's what I do. I stop and go, hey, does anyone have 100 bucks? Somebody's like, yeah, I've got 100 bucks. I go and pick it up. Everyone's like, ooh, make friends with that guy. Right? Then I asked him this question. Hey, was it easy to give that 100 bucks to me? And they're like, yeah. And everyone's like, wow, that guy's loaded. And, and I'm like, why was it easy? It's like, because you came up to me like 15 minutes before the service and said, hey, when I asked for this, can you give it back to me? It didn't cost them anything to give me back what I already gave him. Tithing does not cost you anything. We do not give our tithe to the Lord. Rather, we bring in return to the Lord what has always been his. Then and only then does the blessing remain on the 90%. Tithing is the very first step of faithful stewardship. 
So you ask, Alan, how can I be trusted with much? How can I be trusted with true riches? How can I be given property of my own? And I say that one simple step to get you on the pathway to good stewardship is the tithe. And I know what some of you are thinking because I can hear the penny drop and you're like, okay, yeah, I hear it's biblical. I like it, yeah. Oh, that whole thing about Jesus being tithed for the, I've like, never seen that, but that's great. Okay, I've got a tithe because you know what that means? I'm just, he just wants the little and that means 90%, the rest of it is mine to do whatever I want with. All right. Um, no, actually. <laughs> Hold your horses just one little bit. While you've taken the first step of being a faithful steward, Jesus had a ton to say about the rest of our money. What you do with the rest of it will speak volumes about your heart. It will tell everybody where your trust lies and it will speak towards your faithfulness. What you do with the rest of your money either attracts more or erodes what you already have. And to find out how all that works and what to do about it, you have to come back next week. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Shannon, come and give us some words of knowledge.